As we saw in the last session, ancient letters would start with what we might call the signature, followed by the address and a salutation. In this session, we'll see what's called the ascription of appreciation, where in this letter, Paul gives thanks for several things he appreciates about the Colossian believers. In addition to Paul's gratefulness for these believers, he also gives us some important information about them as well as about the state of the gospel in the early days of the church. If you've studied any of Paul's letters before, you also won't be surprised to see quite a bit of theology sprinkled throughout this section, which is typical of how he writes. With this as our starting point, let's see how Paul expresses his appreciation for the Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 3 says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He begins by saying, We give thanks. We is the Apostle Paul and his ministry partners. We'll see a little bit later in this letter who this includes besides Paul and Timothy. They know quite a bit about the Colossians and are responsible for encouraging them spiritually. Shortly, Paul will tell us what he appreciates about the Colossians, but notice that he does not address his appreciation directly to them. Instead, he gives thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, God is the one whom the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us as the Father when he said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, verse 9. Father here emphasizes the more personal family relationship that believers have with God. He is the source of every good thing in the Colossians' lives. Paul says that he gives thanks to God as he is praying always for them. Praying is the Greek word prosyukomai, which is the typical word for bringing your thoughts and requests to God. The word always, in the original language, is positioned between the giving thanks and the praying. So it could go with either of those actions. It would make sense to say always giving thanks when we pray for you. But you can certainly imagine a man like Paul being in constant prayer, so praying always for you also makes sense. In this verse, Paul mentions God the Father as well as God the Son, and a few verses later he will also mention God the Holy Spirit. So in this section of the letter, we see the entire Trinity represented. In verse 3, Paul has said they were giving thanks so, in verse 4, he begins to tell us what they were thankful for. Colossians 1, verse 4 says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Notice, first of all, that Paul had only heard about the Colossians. Even though Paul carried out an intensive two-year ministry throughout the Roman province of Asia Minor, which we see in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, he apparently had not been to Colossae. Later in Colossians 2, verse 1, Paul says that they had not seen his face. And the Greek word see, horao, means to look at, and by implication, to become personally acquainted with. 
Later, we'll find out more about the person who was likely responsible for sharing the gospel with the Colossians. There are three main qualities which Paul is thankful for, and the first two are given in this verse. First, Paul is thankful for their faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is the Greek word pistis, and as we saw in the last session, faith is the firm conviction of the truth of something. The Colossians' faith is in Christ Jesus. The object of faith is crucially important. These people were trusting in the gospel message of salvation through the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf and his resurrection. They were relying on that truth for their eternal destiny. When a person puts their faith in Christ Jesus for salvation, there are dozens of things that God does for that person. They all happen behind the scenes and even without our being aware of them. The Apostle Paul will mention several of these things in the coming verses, but we should understand that faith is the foundation on which everything else is built. One of the things that God provides is the ability for believers to love others unconditionally. So second, Paul is thankful for the love which they have for all the saints. There are several different Greek words which could be translated into English as love, so we should find out exactly what kind of love Paul is talking about. Here the Greek word agape is used, which is the same word used to describe the kind of love that God himself demonstrates. In another letter, Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 5, verse 22. So it's the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of a believer which enables him to demonstrate God's kind of unconditional love for others. This kind of love could be described as unmerited, unselfish, and sacrificial. Someone has said, in the Christian life, faith is the root and love is the fruit. The aspect of their love that was most noteworthy was their expression of unconditional love within the household of faith to other believers. As he says here, the love which you have for all the saints. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So Paul had heard that the Colossians were living out this commandment in a way that was evident to everyone. The third thing that Paul is thankful for is the hope exhibited by the Colossians. In Colossians 1 verse 5, we see, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, Even though the church in Colossae may have been only a few years old, and these people may have been relatively new believers, they had been taught well about the basic truths of the faith. They understood that they had become mere pilgrims and strangers on this earth, and that their true home is now with Christ. They had an eager expectation of this future life, which they knew was 
as it says here, laid up for them. Another of the things that's given to believers by God at the moment of salvation is a future with him in heaven. The Greek word for the phrase laid up means to be stored away or reserved and waiting for the arrival of the owner. Even though we may not see them here and now, there are many things that we have in Christ which are reserved for us and wait for our arrival in heaven to enjoy them. There is a glorious future awaiting the faithful. To summarize, we could say that Paul is grateful for their faith in the past, which produced their love in the present, and that brought them hope for the future. One Bible commentator expressed it this way, Faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love looks outward to others. Hope looks forward to the future. Faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present. And hope anticipates the future. Starting in the last half of verse 5, Paul takes a short detour to describe what happened when the Colossians heard about the good news of what Christ had done for them. The word gospel simply means good news. They had previously heard these truths about Christ in the word of truth. In order to become a believer and be reconciled to God, there is a message that you need to understand. The words can be presented in any number of ways, but those who communicate the message need to present the simple and straightforward truth about the work of Christ on our behalf. Now, in today's world, there are many people who wonder whether objective truth even exists. But the message of the gospel relies on the fact that there is such a thing as objective truth, which can be communicated and understood. God's word is truth, according to John chapter 17, verse 17. So we should saturate ourselves with the scriptures in order to keep our focus on what is true. The proof that objective truth really does exist is seen in the very next verse. Colossians 1, verse 6 says, Which has come to you, Just as in all the world, also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So here Paul says that the Colossians themselves are proof that the gospel message is true and effective. The word of truth has come to you and is constantly bearing fruit. Lives are being changed for the better, and the positive fruit of godly living is evident not only in the Colossians, but also in all the world. The gospel is a universal truth, and it has the same effect everywhere that it's being accepted as it's spread across the known world of Paul's day. God's work of reconciliation and renewal began in the Colossian believers immediately. As it says here, since the day you heard and understood the message. The word understood is the Greek word epignosis, which means much more than simply knowing something. It carries the meaning of thoroughly understanding, of recognizing the importance of something, of accepting and applying something personally in your life. 
The Colossian believers placed all their faith and trust in the truth concerning the grace of God, as it says here, which is the undeserved favor and blessing that comes to a believer as a result of Jesus Christ's death in our place as payment for your sins and mine, followed by his resurrection from the dead. Colossians 1, verses 7 and 8 say, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. The Greek word translated learned can carry the idea of gaining information, comprehending information, and then obeying it. These two verses tell us that a man named Epaphras brought the gospel to the Colossians. Later, we see in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, that he himself was from Colossae. And as it says here, he was working on Paul's behalf when he took the gospel message back to his hometown. Here, Paul describes him as a beloved fellow bondservant, It's obvious that Paul has great affection and respect for Epaphras in his service for Christ. We know from Paul's letter to Philemon, which accompanied the Colossian letter, that Epaphras had remained with Paul, who was under house arrest in Rome, when he wrote these letters, according to Philemon, verse 23. Previously, we saw that Paul commended the Colossians for their love of all the saints, And here we see that it was Epaphras who told Paul about the conditions of the church in Colossae. And he says that their unconditional sacrificial love for the brethren was motivated and empowered through God the Holy Spirit. This is where Paul ends the letter's ascription of appreciation. So now we'll see that Paul records a prayer for the Colossians starting in verse 9. The content of this prayer reflects the things that Paul heard were needed by the church at Colossae. In verses 3 and 4, Paul had said that ever since he heard of their faith, hope, and love, he had poured out his gratitude to God for them in his prayers. Here in verse 9, Paul gives specific details about his prayer requests for the Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First, Paul asks that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Every believer needs to know who God is and what he expects of us. The word knowledge here is not the normal Greek word for knowledge which is gnosis. Instead, Paul uses the same Greek word we saw in verse 6, which intensifies the meaning. Epignosis means thoroughly understanding, recognizing the importance, and accepting and applying something personally in our lives. Here Paul explains that he wants them to be filled with knowledge, Now, this is the Greek word plerao, which means to completely fill to capacity and maybe even beyond capacity by pressing down and cramming in as much as possible. This is the first time in this letter that we see one of the key words of the book of Colossians, which is filled or fullness. 
Remember that it means completely filled to capacity with nothing lacking. But Paul isn't finished describing the quality of the knowledge that he wants them to have. He continues by saying that their knowledge should be in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So not only does he desire that God give them a complete knowledge of his will, but he wants the Colossians to use or apply that knowledge with the utmost wisdom and understanding by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Now, wisdom is the Greek word sophia, which some have described as the ability to apply knowledge correctly. Understanding is the Greek word sunesis, which literally means flowing together. So it's a mental putting together of ideas and actions to figure out the best result in every situation. This is a very important prayer request for the Colossians, and it's one which will help protect them from errors in their own thinking, as well as from attacks by false teachers who may be trying to derail them. In verse 9, Paul described the kind of in-depth knowledge of God that he's requesting for them. And then in verse 10, he'll describe how the right kind of knowledge will demonstrate itself in the believer's normal daily habits of life. Verse 10 says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The word translated walk is the Greek word peripateo, which is typically used to mean your daily walk and life or lifestyle. Paul is saying that the more they know about God's will and his ways, the more they'll be able to live lives that are worthy of God and pleasing to him. What we believe will affect how we behave. True spiritual wisdom always affects our daily life. Here Paul tells us how we can determine whether we're handling our knowledge in the right way. We will live in a way that pleases God and will be fruitful in good works, as he says here. Now you probably know some Christians who seem to have lots of knowledge, but they're not living very attractive or fruitful lives. Unfortunately, it is possible for a believer to live like that, but we need to make every effort to avoid that for ourselves. Paul says, if we gain godly knowledge and we demonstrate that knowledge in a pleasing and productive lifestyle, then God is able to increase our knowledge even more. If we show that we can handle more knowledge appropriately, then the cycle will continue. So the sequence we see here describes the process of growing in spiritual maturity. And that is what Paul is praying for the Colossians. With a foundation of faith in Christ Jesus, believers begin to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God and his will, which leads to living in a way that pleases God and grows into productive service for God. You can't snap your fingers and achieve complete spiritual maturity in an instant. Growth takes time and patient care. The goal of a believer's life should be to glorify and please God. But like many of you, most of the time I feel very inadequate in my own strength to live my life in the way that Paul describes here. 
So next, Paul is going to tell us what resources God gives us that can empower us to live this kind of pleasing and productive life. Colossians 1 verse 11 says, Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. So here Paul is telling us about the power that's available to us. We do not need to rely only on our own strength to live a life that's worthy of God. Paul says we can be strengthened with all power. The Greek word for power is dunamis, which means inherent power or ability that arises from the nature of something. The English word dynamite comes from this term. The phrase strengthened with all power could literally be translated powered with all power because the verb and the noun in this phrase are both from that same root word. But where does this extra power come from? Paul says it's according to his glorious might. Since God the Holy Spirit indwells every believer from the moment of salvation, he is able to energize us even when we seem to have very little strength of our own. Now, we are still responsible for exercising our own strength of will and character, but the indwelling Spirit can energize us with all the strength and ability that we lack. We must rely on him to energize us as we attempt to live our lives in the way God desires. Paul ends this verse by describing two instances when we might need this godly inner strength. First, he says that it is for attaining all steadfastness. Now, steadfastness is the Greek word hupamene, which literally means to abide under. It could be translated as patiently enduring difficult circumstances. When your situation or circumstances look grim, that is when you need to exhibit steadfastness. Patience is the Greek word makrothumia, which literally means long-tempered. It can be translated as long-suffering or forbearance toward people. So here we see that God can assist us whether we're dealing with difficult circumstances or with difficult people. The final word in this verse tells us how we should react when dealing with the things that God brings to us in life. Joyously is the same Greek word, kara, that was typically used in the salutation of ancient letters. It means with gladness, cheerfulness, or joy. One Bible scholar expressed the importance of joy this way. He said, Endurance and long-suffering are tremendous assets, but when they are accompanied by joyfulness, they reveal their supernatural character. It's possible for us to handle difficult circumstances or difficult people, but it's only when we do it with cheerfulness that it brings glory to God. In verse 12, Paul goes on to say, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So here we also see that giving thanks to God is an essential quality as we deal with the ups and downs of life. It may seem counterintuitive to thank God for difficult things in our lives, but when we do that, We're acknowledging that every situation of life is in his hands and under his control. It's easier to thank God for the good things. 
But it's when we affirm God's sovereignty over the difficult things that we prove we really understand who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Paul now ends his prayer for the Colossians by mentioning something that God will provide for us in the future, as well as something that God has done for us in the past. First, God qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The moment someone puts their faith in the person and work of Christ for salvation, God gives them a share in the heavenly realm that will be theirs when Christ returns for those who are his. Just as we know in earthly or legal terms, an heir is someone who has been granted an inheritance. Even though they do not currently possess that inheritance, we know that it's guaranteed by right. This is the concept that Paul shares in this verse. We each were qualified or made sufficient for this heavenly inheritance, which all of the believing saints will possess in the future. This inheritance is described as being in the glorious light of God, which contrasts with the darkness that Paul is going to explain in the next two verses. In Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, He says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here, Paul tells us several of the things that God did for us in the past. These happen all at once at the point in time when a person trusts Christ for salvation. In contrast to the inheritance in light that Paul described previously, There's also a dark domain from which God rescued each of us. Domain is the Greek word exousia, which means a realm of power and authority that rules over us. We were held captive and kept in bondage within this dark domain until God rescued us. Paul expresses this transaction in two ways stating both the negative and the positive aspects of what Christ accomplished for us. First, God rescued us out of the power and sphere of the dark domain. Rescued is the Greek word ruhamai, which means to draw or pull something to oneself. So God reached in and grabbed each one of us, pulling us out toward himself. Second, Paul gives the positive side. God transferred us into his kingdom. Transferred is the Greek word metastasin. It sounds similar to our English word metastasis, and it means to move from one state or place to another. God not only pulled us out of a dark place of bondage, but he brought us into a state of freedom and light represented by the kingdom of his dear son. So does this verse teach that Christ's kingdom is a present reality for believers during the church age? Well, the context of this passage gives us the answer. Just as God made us legal heirs of our heavenly inheritance, which we'll ultimately possess in the future, according to Colossians 1 verse 12, so he also guaranteed our legal status as members of Christ's future kingdom even though we won't actually experience the kingdom until the coming of Christ for his church and our ultimate return to reign with him during his millennial kingdom. 
One Bible scholar expressed it this way, While believers are legally heirs of God's kingdom, the kingdom is not yet a factual reality upon the earth. Paul wrote the book of Colossians at the same time as his other prison epistles, including Philippians and Ephesians. In Philippians, believers are called citizens of heaven, Philippians 3, verse 20. In Ephesians, believers are said to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2, verse 6. This heavenly position represents the legal standing of the believer. Yet believers are not actually in heaven now. Although believers may have been delivered legally from Satan's authority, according to 1 John 5.18, they have not been delivered in fact and in present experience from Satan's authority. Rather, believers regularly wrestle against Satan's authority. Ephesians 6.12 states, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. The word translated powers is the Greek word exousia, which is the same word translated domain in Colossians 1 verse 13. As is the case with both our redemption and freedom from satanic authority, believers are legally and positionally citizens of a kingdom that will not be manifested upon the earth until a future time period. I think that's a very good way to look at it. Now, in the last phrase of verse 14, Paul cannot resist mentioning another of the things that God accomplished for us through the death and resurrection of Christ. He says that in his beloved Son, we have redemption. Redemption is a powerful Greek word, apolutrosis, which means to pay the ransom price for a slave or a debtor in order to secure their release. In addition to our redemption in Christ, we also have the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word have carries the meaning to have and to hold or to own or possess. Just like our inheritance discussed previously, this is something that believers are guaranteed because of Christ's work on our behalf. First, we saw God buying back our lives, and here we see him sending away our sins. Forgiveness literally means sending away and providing freedom or release. The Greek word for sin here is the word hamartion, which means to do wrong or to go wrong, to miss or to wander from the path of righteousness. Now, unfortunately, this is the status of everyone who is under the influence of the domain of darkness. But God, through Christ, has provided an opportunity for freedom, which is given to every believer at the point when they put their trust in Christ's work on their behalf. In light of all that believers have received from God, no wonder Paul tells us to give thanks for everything he has done for us. By way of application, Paul gives us such a wonderful example in this letter Even in the midst of very difficult circumstances, he was constantly praying with thankfulness and joy. So we can ask, how is your prayer life? What steps could you take that might make you even more productive in prayer? Also, what changes should we make in our lives that might allow God to fill us with the knowledge of his will? Are there distractions that we should eliminate? 
Or are there some activities that we should make more of a priority? Once God provides more knowledge, are we putting it into practice by living lives that please the Lord and are productive for his work? Let's correctly handle the knowledge we have been given so that we might be eligible to receive more understanding and discernment from God and grow in spiritual maturity. Right now, is there any area of your life which you're having a difficult time handling in your own strength? If so, commit that area to God and ask for his strength to help you. If you want a list of some of the things for which you can thank God in your prayers, how about adding these things that we've seen in this section of Colossians? We can thank God for the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. The fact that God's word is true. We can express gratitude for our Epiphras, the person who shared the gospel with us. We can be grateful for God's help in dealing with difficult circumstances or difficult people. We can also express our thankfulness for the inheritance that we have with the saints in light. Why not thank God for our rescue from the dark domain and for being given membership in Christ's kingdom? We can also thank him for our redemption, that the ransom price has been paid for me by Christ. And finally, as Paul said, for the forgiveness of our sins because of what Christ accomplished for us. As the last verse of that great hymn of the faith says, let's make this our grateful expression today for all God has done for us. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine, with ten thousand besides. Great is thy faithfulness.